This is the 542 and the Blue Podcast. Discussions of law enforcement history. Issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains. Hosted by retired police detective sergeant, author and researcher, Scott Lunsford. Scott is currently busy getting ready for the new school year. A school resource officer's day is never really done. Season 2 of this podcast officially begins on August 24th, when Scott will be back with more Shades of Blue stories. Until then here is a short bonus Shade of Blue, put together by myself and Alice. 3, 2, 1. Samuel Little turned 76 years old June 7, 2019. Perhaps it's true that only the good die young. For you see Little is considered an American serial killer. He has been convicted of murdering three women in California between 1987 and 1989 another in Texas in 1994. He has claimed to have killed as many as 93 to over 100 people. Investigators have been able to link him directly to 60 murders. These numbers may give Little the position of the most prolific serial killer in United States history. County Prosecutor Joseph T. Deters is on record stating, This is truly shocking. Little is likely responsible for committing more murders than anyone else in the United States. Gary Ridgway, known as the Green River Killer, is thought to be the country's deadliest serial killer in terms of guilty pleas, with 49 victims. Investigators think Little murdered women in 19 states for over nearly half a century. This includes the Appalachian Mountain region of the country. His terror ending around 2005. In 1961, Little was sentenced to three years in prison for breaking and entering. Released in 1964, in 10 years he was arrested 26 times in 11 states for crimes including theft, assault, attempted rape, fraud and attacks on government officials. In 1982, he was arrested in Pascagoula, Mississippi, for the murder of a 22-year-old woman, the victim listed as a missing person. Unfortunately the grand jury did not find enough probable cause to indict Little for the murder, while being investigated in Mississippi. Little was sent to Florida to be brought to trial for the murder of 26-year-old Patricia Mount, whose body was found in September 1982. Witnesses identified Little as a person who was with Mount the night before her disappearance. Again due to mistrust of witness testimonies, Little was acquitted. Little grew up in Ohio and is linked to at least five murders there. Little was arrested in a Kentucky homeless shelter in 2012 and extradited to California, where he was wanted on drug charges. It was then DNA began linking Little to other homicides. All women, all beaten and strangled. Other women testified in his 2014 trial that they narrowly escaped similar contacts with him. Convicted this time and going through the appeal process he remained defiant and maintained his innocence, though PR prosecutors believed he was responsible for more deaths. Little remained tight-lipped about other crimes until Texas Ranger James Holland visited him in prison to discuss unsolved cases in Texas. Out of appeals, sick and infirm, Little began to confess. Texas was not the only location of incidents. Investigators from across the country traveled to California to investigate cold case killings, on the information from Little. At this point in his life, he's determined to make sure that his victims are found. Nothing he has admitted to has proven to be false. 
Little has painted and drawn portraits of several unknown women he said he killed, and the FBI has released them in hopes they will close long open files. Many of his victims were deliberately chosen because they would not be missed. Sex workers and addicts whose deaths don't draw police attention. Little would punch his victims and strangle them. Those deaths thought to be overdoses, accidents or natural causes, according to the FBI. Little, targeted women for other features. He said, specifically looking for girls with a certain neck type that he liked. This is an example of just how twisted the man is. If it's true only the good die young, perhaps Little will at least be around to give some closure to some of his victims' families. After that he can just trot in hell. Political corruption is a common thread that runs throughout the history of mankind. At the beginning of the 20th century, South Carolina did not take a back seat to anyone as far as corruption among politicians, as this shade of blue illustrates. The story of the murder of a newspaper editor by the second highest elected official in South Carolina, who walked away a free man. Noon in Columbia, South Carolina, January 1903. The editor of the state newspaper, Narciso Gonzalez, was walking home for lunch. Gonzalez was the son of General Ambrosio José Gonzalez, a Cuban revolutionary general who opposed Spanish rule. His mother was Harriet Rutledge, the daughter of William Elliott, a wealthy South Carolina rice planter, state senator and writer. Editor Gonzalez had gained national attention during the Spanish-American War. His coverage of the charge up San Juan Hill by Teddy Roosevelt and his Rough Riders locked that moment in American history. It was a cold, blustery day and Mr. Gonzalez was walking with his head down against the wind. His his hands in his coat pockets for warmth. Turning the corner of Main and Gervais streets, he met the Lieutenant Governor, Jim Tillman and two state senators on the sidewalk. Tillman approached the editor and said, Good morning. I got your message. He then pulled out a German Luger and shot Gonzalez in the stomach. The shooting in sight of a standing police officer who immediately arrested the Lieutenant Governor. Gonzalez was carried back to his office in the state building then to the hospital. The editor lingered unconscious for several days, but contracted blood poisoning from the gut shot that had ruptured his intestine. When Gonzalez died, most of the businesses in Colombia closed in honor of the man who had started the state newspaper in opposition to the politics of his killer's uncle, Governor Ben Pitchfork Tillman. Several hundred people braved a cold, rainy day to pay tribute to the fallen editor. A coroner's inquest stated that Tillman had shot and murdered Gonzalez, and a trial date was set for September. Tillman's jail cell was soon furnished with books, comfortable chairs and other accoutrements. The powerful Tillman political machine began its work. Now what could have led the lieutenant governor to gun down the most prominent newsman in the state in broad daylight in front of witnesses? Gonzalez and the Tillman family political organization had conducted a decade-long public feud, of which the shooting was just the climax of a series of slights, innuendos and disagreements. James Jim Tillman's mentor was his uncle Ben, the former South Carolina governor who was serving as a United States senator at the time. To say the least the Tillman family had a colorful history. Jim Tillman's grandfather had once killed a man during an argument. His uncle John was killed in a duel. Uncle Oliver was killed in a domestic dispute. Uncle Thomas was killed in the Mexican-American War. 
Jim's father, George Tillman, was elected to the state legislature and U.S. Congress. During one of his re-election campaigns, George was playing a game of cards, when he inadvertently shot and killed a bystander. Well accidents will happen I guess. Fearing prosecution, he fled to California, but later returned and was convicted of manslaughter. Despite the fact that he was in prison, George Tillman still practiced law from a well-decorated jail cell. He survived several duels, but one year before his son gunned down Gonzalez, George was killed over a gambling dispute. After passing the state bar the defendant Tillman, instead of the law, however, pursued journalism and began writing for the Winsboro News and Herald, writing under the name Fair Play. He attacked Gonzalez, editor of the state newspaper a critic the senator Benjamin Pitchfork Ben Tillman. Even though, arrogant, bombastic, a notorious drinker and gambler, Tillman nevertheless rose to political prominence during the 1890s. He was active in the state militia and commanded one of South Carolina's regiments that served in the Spanish-American War in 1898. Tillman was soon elected as a delegate to the South Carolina Democratic Convention. Appealing to racial prejudices and capitalizing on his family name, he was elected lieutenant governor in 1900. In 1902 Tillman ran for governor of South Carolina, a campaign that Gonzalez and his paper Opus Ed, writing a series of articles calling Tillman a proven liar, defaulter, gambler and drunkard. Gonzalez with evidence to back up his claims accused Tillman of falsifying Senate records, disgraceful military conduct, and fiscal improprieties. When Tillman refused to invite President Theodore Roosevelt to visit South Carolina because Roosevelt had refused to invite his uncle to a state dinner, Gonzalez castigated the lieutenant governor's boorishness. Disgraced before the public, Tillman lost the election for governor. Tillman blamed his defeat, what he called, the brutal, false and malicious newspaper attacks headed by Gonzalez. The Tillman-Gonzalez feud ended on as the two men passed each other on the sidewalk at the corner of Main and Gervais streets in Columbia, Tillman pulled out a pistol and shot the unarmed Gonzalez once through the abdomen. The editor staggered back to his office and was soon taken to the hospital, where he died on January 19, 1903. Tillman was arrested and charged with murder. His lawyers were able to have the trial moved from Columbia, home of the victim to Lexington County. No as a pro-Tillman support. The trial opened on September 28, 1903. Tillman's lawyers argued that their client was not guilty on grounds of self-defense, claiming Gonzalez, whose hands were in his pockets at the time of the attack, had moved them in a menacing way before Tillman shot him. The defense introduced editorials by their victim as evidence that such inflammatory attacks justified Tillman's actions. Apparently the ideas of self-defense sounded right to the pro-Tillman jury. On October 15, 1903, it brought in a verdict of not guilty, ruling that the shooting was self-defense. The state and national press condemned Tillman and the farce of his trial. Tillman retired from public life disgraced and in poor health. He died in Asheville, North Carolina, on April 1, 1911. This is Victoria standing in for Scott Lunsford. Alice. Close us out. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. You have been listening to the 542 in the Blue podcast. Discussions of law enforcement, history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains. Hosted by Scott Lunsford. For more information, 
go to scottlunsfordauthor.com. You can find links to the podcast and information on Scott's books and how to order them. Scott can be reached through the message portal on the contact page. This is Alice, podcast producer. Background theme Mystery Sex by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons. 2. 1. End.